Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. We're so happy to have you here on our podcast today. And I have a very special guest who, when I lived on the mainland, lived not too far away from me. So it's amazing how the we keep making connections kind of all over the planet with doing this podcast. And it's, it's nice to meet somebody from that, that area in California. So welcome, Kim. Thank you, Emily. It's really nice to be here. Kim uh, has a book that she she wrote that has come out uh, called where now I'm going to hopefully I'll say it right. Where the yellow flowers grow. Is, is, um, where yellow flowers bloom. Where uh, yellow flowers where yellow bloom. Flowers bl- okay. It was close. <laughs> and you're in a nice yellow sweater today. So that's perfect. Yes, I, you planned I, that well. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did that on purpose. I, and and I love the, the yellow flowers. That was, it was so special from the beginning. I kept saying, okay, what, what yellow flowers have to do with this, but it was so beautiful toward the end when you discovered mm-hmm. what yellow flowers had to do with it. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your situation and why you wrote the book? Sure. So I was living the dream in Santa Barbara with my family in Montecito and my husband and I both worked. We had careers in medical device sales and marketing. And we had two lovely children, a boy and a girl. My son was 17. My daughter was 14. We had a a handsome Irish setter dog who who was goofy and fun. And um, we were very involved in the community and our kids' uh, extracurricular activities. And there had been a a very large wildfire. At the time, it was called the largest wildfire in California history, and it was called the Thomas Fire. And it roared from Ventura toward Santa Barbara. And I heard a statistic, it was burning an acre a second, and it was just combustion. And we evacuated three times. So our December was listening to our phones. They have a a warning system on it that sounds like an Amber Alert and it would alert when you had to evacuate. And we did that three times. We went to south of Ventura, south of where you were, went to Thousand Oaks, to my girlfriend's house. And um, it was the holidays that didn't happen, right? Everyone was evacuated. Mailboxes had tape around them, so nothing could be delivered. When you got back, it looked covered like snow with ash. Um, the driveway, the pool was sooty. In the house, you walked in and there was ash everywhere in the cabinets, on the glasses. And so, you know, it was really, you know, tiring and scary. And the firemen did heroic efforts to save the community and the houses that could have just all gone away. But then what happened in January, so if you imagine that hillside is all denatured, all the vegetation's off it now, right? And there's downed hundred-year-old trees and there's car-sized boulders sitting precariously up on the hillside. And we weren't on the hillside. We were down in the village and uh, in the community. That's where our house was. So there was forecasting heavy rain. And um, we kept watching our aware and beware what we should do. Are we in the evacuation zone? You know, what does that mean? 
and we put our sandbags out and we had a plan. We'd go to a hotel if it rained heavy. And at about 3.30 in the morning or three in the morning, we woke up to heavy rain, my husband and I, he went to look on the house and, you know, the book details all the details of this very quite vividly, but we didn't make it out in time of the house because what we didn't know what was happening is the mountain gave away with the heavy rains and it became like a slip and slide. And so those car-sized boulders and those hundred-year-old trees came roaring, slipping, sliding down the mountain on, cause I think there was ash that was, you know, a couple feet deep and it was just a slip and slide. And, um, it came coming down the Creek Well, the Creek got jammed up. There was underpasses and boulders hitting boulders jammed up. And there was a curve in the Creek across the lane from us. And what a neighbor saw was a 30 foot plume of boulders and debris and mud plume up to the sky and then crashed down on our house and our neighbor's house with my family in it. And, it obliterated it. And my husband and son um, perished. So did the dog. My daughter was washed away about a football field distance and ended up buried alive for six hours under 20 feet of mud and a couple cars, a transformer, electrical wires, part of a roof. But miraculously, she had a little bit of air pockets by her mouth and nose and she was able to breathe. And, um, I was washed away two football fields and I was found wrapped in electrical wires, injured on a debris pile in an intersection. So it was the night of the unimaginable. Oh, the, hmm, I can't, can't imagine experiencing that. My no, heart really yeah. goes out to you. It, yeah. There's, there's nothing like it with, with all, all the experiences that any of us have been in, this had such a magnitude of so many different things happening at the same time, so much loss at, at the same moment. Mm-hmm. And in your book, I was so impressed by your fortitude that, that you were able to mm-hmm. uh, move forward and do what you felt needed to be done for you. Mm-hmm. And the way the community came together and the, oh, the, the community was incredible. They were, they weren't just grief tourists, you know, that pop in and then pop out because they're uncomfortable with it. This community, strangers, I didn't know rallied. People were out looking for my, my son was designated as missing along with a, a two-year-old little girl. So there was 23 people that died that night, 11 of which were children. And of 21 people were recovered two were listed as missing and one was my 17 year old son and one was a beautiful baby girl, Lydia, who was two. Yes. Well, I was very impressed by the impact that your son and your husband had on the community with the things that they did with, with scouting and with that special uh, project. Basketball. Yeah. Yeah. The Eagle Scout project. He refurbished a um, elementary school playground in a underfunded school and he just brought it back to life. And that, that was really meaningful for him. It was meaningful. You know, he's got his Eagle Scout award or project because of it, but what was most meaningful is he had just been doing it all Easter weekend and it was a grueling long project because they had to, you know, sand down all the eight basketball back backboards, paint it cobalt blue. Then he bought a stencil for a dolphin and paint the, the posts, you know, school bus yellow. So it just brightened up the whole playground and a little boy came up to him at the end and he was just exhausted and Jack's hands were all covered in white paint. 
And the little boy looked up at him and he must have looked like a big teenager. Jack was 15 at the time. And he said, thank you for making my school pretty again. And that really moved Jack because he wanted these kids. He, he knew he drove by their school every day and realized, why does that school not have the resources that my school has? So he, he saw the inequity of it. And um, what was so beautiful is he chose his project to, to um, help give it a little bit of a, a, a facelift. It, it was beautiful. I, the one thing I really liked about your book was the color pictures in it. And it was really mm. uh, wonderful to see the color picture of that mm-hmm. basketball court and think about how much fun it would be for the kids to have that to to play there. Yeah, yeah. They felt, you know, and they wrote them letters. So the, the fifth graders were so thrilled with their school that, it, you know, they all wrote them thank you notes. And, and the, kind of the gist was, thank you for making us proud of our school. Because they would play other other schools, you know, they'd come over and play a game. And it just gave them kind of school pride. And you know, Jack's friend Bram, you know, asked him about it. And Jack said, why is everyone making a big deal of it? And it had been on the news. So he did get some nice recognition. He goes, they just need it fixed. And I fixed it for him. You know, so he was pretty humble in his his uh, approach to it. Yeah, your, your whole family sounds just just wonderful. All, all the description, everybody. You, you have uh, friends and, and you're kind and people are kind to you. And it sounds like such a, a wonderful place to live. Mm-hmm. And one thing I was really impressed about your husband um, was his his um, contribution to the Scouts, being a Scout mm-hmm. leader, and how it was it was his troop that had a hundred percent Eagle Scouts. Yeah. So what happened was um, we moved from Ohio, and in Ohio, scouting's really big, and in Montecito, there's just not as many kids. So the they have Troop Thirty Three is the the I think the second oldest Scout troop in Santa Barbara area and but it had dwindled down to two scouts just because they're they're just they're, people weren't talking about it and then um there was a mom jamie ruffing who really started getting the cub scouts going and there was nice little packs of cub scouts and so when we moved here we went to a meeting and and the women saw dave and they came up to me and they said do you think he could be our scout master because they saw dave totally engage in it he would like the pinewood derby he liked you know he, he was a natural leader and and it, you could tell he found it fun. And I said, sure, ask him. And so they, they scurried on over to him and they said, would you be our Cub Scout leader? And he said, I'd be honored. And so he did that and then matriculated when the boys went from Cub Scouts to Boy Scouts. Um, he became the Scoutmaster and he really dedicated himself to reinvigor the troop that goes down to two. And then it came up to like 14 or 16. And now it's well over 20. But um, 100% of those young boys who started with him became Eagle Scouts. And that's very unusual. Only 4% of people who go into scouting get to Eagle Scout. And for all of them to do that um, was such a moving thing to see. Some of them did it when, when Dave was alive and some of them did it soon after his, his uh, death. It, it just was so beautiful that... Uh... There's such power in in what young men learn from scouts and from becoming an Eagle Scout. That's that's really an accomplishment. To and have. women can do it now. It's yeah. just scouting. So and there's women Eagle Scouts now. And I was a Girl Scout leader and involved in the Scouts with Jack. I was with Girl Scouts, and I got to tell you how the Scouts prepare these kids with the different things they can learn and merit badges, and then go to a 
a board to present what they've learned, it's really good training for when, if they go into the workplace, that they do the work, they have to go to a board to present, and they, they get to explore what their interests are. Uh, I was pretty impressed by the format. Yeah, it, it's amazing that it, that's the sort of thing that I think there should be a place in school where kids could learn that. And it just seems to be something that's not part of the curriculum any place. You're right. And when, when Jack went to that underfunded school and the fifth graders, he came in in his uniform and, and many of them, you know, lived under the poverty level and they'd never seen a scout and what that was. And they just saw his whole stash of badges and they wanted to ask him, you know, what was your favorite one? And they were, in th- he said scuba diving. And they were just so intrigued that there was a program where someone could go learn scuba diving or could go learn first aid or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. I wish our, I wish our young people got a little bit more, more life learning stuff. Well, fortunately those, those boys all did. That, that's mm-hmm. really great. And I'm so impressed with your daughter too. When I, I was first thinking about her was when you were saying she was walking outside practicing. I I, I dreamed a dream for lameness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, singing that. And I I used to have a, a live theater, and we did one of the first three productions of the the kind of pared down version of Les Mis that they put out for for young people to be able to do at my theater. And I'm I'm very attached to that show. And I thought, oh, that just sounds so beautiful for somebody her age to be able to have that opportunity and that voice. And then mm-hmm. she she had the opportunity to really use her voice through this whole experience that you were going through. Yeah, she really did. She um well, she sang when she was buried alive to keep herself sane. And then after she recovered, you know, got out of the hospital. There was a lot of fundraisers because there was so much devastation. The freeway was closed for 10 days. 400 homes were destroyed, 150 people injured. So many people lost their jobs. Restaurants were closed. It was just, just a really awful time. And so people like Katy Perry did a, a benefit concert locally and Ellen DeGeneres and Brad Paisley. And so she was fortunate. They, they wanted her to come sing. And so she got to sing on stage with Katy Perry the first the first verse of Firework, which talks about being buried alive. (laughs) And she sang on stage, you know, where Brad Paisley was. And then um, at the Kick-Ash Bash with um, David Foster, she did the national anthem. And then, and then she sang on Ellen because Ellen is a neighbor in town and was really a standout. She, uh, you know, it was rumored I was in the hospital, but it was rumored she was biking with her wife, Portia around um, the area to seeing who needed help. And, was really showing some kindness there. Um, and so everyone wanted Lauren's story. She was the miracle mud princess, right? That emerged okay out of her entombment. And every all the media wanted that story. And I wanted to protect Lauren from that. It was going to be her story on her time and with whom she wanted to share it, if she wanted to share it. And she met Ellen. She's like, I think I'd like to share it with Ellen. So Ellen um, had us on her show and that was the first time people heard a little bit of Lauren's story. And, and, and in the book, it's, it's her first, like, she gives her firsthand account of what happened up until the slide and what was, she, what was going on for her buried alive. And, and then when she heard the rescue. So it's pretty compelling. Yes, it is. I, it, it was wonderful how the uh, celebrities can, there's something about, celebrity that appeals to people that can draw a lot of support in and, and for the celebrities to step up and 
be able to do that, like Kenny Loggins and Oh, he was he's he's he was a standout. He um he helped a teen sing benefit. Um he helped it and she sang Defying Gravity and he and he's he he has kids of his own and he's just a kind man and he likes to mentor the the young up and coming singers and he sang, you know, the song that I put Jack to bed with from when he was born until probably age seven, because he loved it so much, was Kenny's song, you know, his CD, Return to Pooh Corner, you know, Winnie the Pooh songs. And so Kenny recorded Lauren and him doing the duet so that we could play that at Jack's service, which was more than moving, right? More than moving. That was a song that was new motherhood to me um, with my son. And it was the song that soothed my son for seven years going to sleep. Um, I was just, uh, it, when you said that, it reminded me about um, Stitch. Um, mm-hmm. Jack he likes Lilo and Stitch. He yeah. loves Stitch. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, before I, I read the book, the Grief and Happiness Alliance that I am part of um, has a nonprofit organization that, that does things for fundraising and, and to, to make to pay for everything so people don't have to pay for their their help with grief. And so they've been coming up with different ways to do services for people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have a young woman who's, I think, 22 in our group, who said, let's let's have a movie night and Mm. do do a pop culture sort of thing. And I said, well, that's great, but it costs a whole lot of money to to get rights. And so she researched and figured out a way that she could have people not necessarily watch the movie together, but then they come together and discuss it afterwards. And the first movie that she's doing is Lilo and Stitch. Mm. She she said that could appeal to the young people and they could talk about grief and Mm -hmm. things from from that movie. So it just, that to have that Stitch... (laughs) In, in in the book and then in what I was doing right at that moment when I had never really thought about Lilo and Stitch before. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of an He's interesting a cute coincidence. Character. He's yeah. a cute character, right? And then you gave um, his friends the Stitch to go. Yeah, so, you know, when Jack was one is when he got his first plush doll Stitch. And um, I just picked it up for him, didn't really think much of it, but he really really connected with that. That was his stuffed animal. And even it was still in his closet. And if there was a tough day, even probably when he was 15, he'd take it out, lay on his bed with it, maybe chew on its ears, right? <laughs> Stitch, was, Stitch, Stitch was comforting for Jack. So when he, he had a nice friend network and they were just so taken aback with his death, you know, all of a sudden he didn't come back to class and he was just kind of like missing, you know, just the kids down in his desk anymore. And it was their first experience for many of them with death. And then someone their age, like that shouldn't happen. And so when they went off to college, I I wanted to get them something to take to college. And so I got them each a stitch doll. And so these 19 or 20 year olds are heading off to their university and they're bringing stitch with them. That's so cool. Um, another thing that, that I was really impressed with was the the quilt that you made of thank you your your guys mm-hmm. their sil- silhouette after scuba diving mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. beautiful quilt there's again a beautiful color picture in the book could you tell us a little bit about that I enjoy quilting actually I credit my son for that we were on a camping trip 
and everyone was going jet skiing, but he had a um, ear infection. So I took him into town on Main Street and we got two scoops of ice cream. And across the street from the ice cream shop, an old fashioned ice cream shop, was a cute little quilting shop. And I didn't quilt, but my girlfriend did. And I said, hey, Jack, let's just stroll in there. I just kind of, you know, want to look around. And I got a book of how to quilt. I got a little stack of starter fabric that was all in a set, you know, and I said, I'm just going to try it out. And maybe on YouTube, read this book. And um, I then really, that was my creative outlet, making quilts. And so uh, Dave and Jack, Dave was an avid scuba diver. Jack had just landed in the scouts and they were on Catalina doing their first dive together. And someone snapped that picture. And I said, you know, I'm going to make Dave a couple quilts. One was this ocean one with the silhouette of Dave and Jack on it. Another one was uh, more of a of green and browns of the scouting colors of the coastal oaks and the, the hiking stuff. And that was his Christmas gift one year were those two quilts. And um, when we evacuated from the Thomas fire and we just had to grab a couple things that were most important to us, Dave grabbed. And as I looked in the back of his car, when he got to my friend's house, he grabbed our wedding portrait that was on the wall and he grabbed the quilt. And that really moved my heart that that's what he brought of things that he felt were irreplaceable. Yeah, just beautiful. It it shows the the value and and importance of creating memories and Mm -hmm. things that can go along. Another thing that that really moved me is that I hadn't really thought that much about intuition or Mm -hmm. getting getting signs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, intuitives. And mm-hmm. you met a whole bunch. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had, I had done in my life before and I could just turn sideways a little bit and hit one. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you know, so many people we're all gifted with different talents. Like right? some people are good mathematicians. Some people are good locksmiths. Some people get communication abilities that maybe you and I don't have. And there were two missing children and some very reputable, kind hearted intuitives reached out because they wanted to help and they didn't want to charge a dime. This was, this was playing bigger. This was for, for a grieving mom, moms, Lydia's mom and I, and it was to find children that were missing. So yeah, I did meet some. And, and uh, so that gave me that experience of, of that learning about that. And it was actually a great part of my grief management because in it, I mean, I was, talking to them. It's like, okay, where's the clue? Where's Jack, right? We were looking for three years for him and his remains, you know, they didn't reveal themselves right away. And so I wanted the clues, Jack, where are you? Where are you? Are you near this house? Are you near this Creek? Whatever. And he goes, it doesn't quite work like that, <laughs> but he goes, I know I'll be found. God told me I'll be found. Um, pieces of me will be found. And that's what he said. But what I learned from the intuitive readings or what I took from them is I took that we're more than our physical bodies, that I believe the soul transitions to a frequency that our human eyes can't see. And I believe my husband and son are in pure joy. And my dog, they're all in pure joy as spirit. And um, they're around us, can't see them. But that's, that's what helped me a lot in my grief. Because who wouldn't want to know your loved ones aren't in pure joy, right? That's a, That's a pretty nice thing to think about it really is you know we got taxes to think about we got other things in life here and they're pure they don't have that and um with that we said you 
he was missing for three years and you did so much searching and so many mm-hmm. different people helped with the search. And I was amazed at the things that you were recovering in the search. Mm-hmm. You'd think that the things just, they wouldn't still be there, that they couldn't possibly be there. There's still mud. I mean, there's still, they didn't take things down to grade. It's so expensive, right? To haul mud. It's heavy. It's expensive. It's time consuming. So every time it rains, I could go out there after a heavy rain and stuff will still reveal itself. It could be a spoon. It could be, you know, a, a saucer that you used in the um, kitchen, you know, stuff, clothes. There was Lauren's Burgundy. Um, we had been near this one part of the creek over and over and over and over and over and over and over again for a year. And after one rain, there it was. It was her Burgundy Christmas dress at the base of the tree. It just enough mud moved away and there it was. And then they say actually bones can, can, can move up and reveal themselves. So yeah, it's, there's, there's still probably a lot of stuff out there. And especially that beautiful quilt that you talked about with the the silhouette on it. Yeah, we found that. that It was, it was wedged um, between a chain link fence and the sidewall of the Creek about 20 feet down. My friend, Anne was going in there. She's like, there's this clump of something. She's like, it's a quilt. And it came out. It was about 50 pounds of clumped hard on mud. And we laid it out. We're like, that's the quilt. Wow. That's just so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Such a a journey you've been through. And Mm -hmm. I think it's it's wonderful that you decided to share it. Because I I think the magnitude of what happened, people just, we've been having so many weather events and (laughs) things happening, just just tons of them. And I don't know whether we're just hearing about them a whole lot more, but it seems like there actually are a whole lot more. I know there's a lot more fires in California. Well, there's certainly more media coverage of them. I don't know if there's more. It seems like there's more, but there's, you know, the TV, the the news is on it all the time. So you hear about them, right? And and Yeah. yeah, it's pretty scary, pretty scary stuff. And with, through your book, you're able to give a perspective of what it's like to actually go through something like that. Yeah, the, Im- the human impact. The human mm-hmm. impact, when you think, you hear about these things on the news, nothing could happen to you. This happens to other people in other parts of the country. And then why couldn't it happen to you? It happened to us. And we yeah. weren't expecting it. Right. And, and what we hear when we hear the news most of the time is how many acres were burned or you mm-hmm. know, how many houses were destroyed. And we don't hear about the people so much. And that your, your book just put a, a personal people aspect of it that I, I think it's really good for people to recognize that that yeah. happens. Yeah. So, well, this is this has been a wonderful talk. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners? Well, if they're, you know, I hope if, if they are going through a challenging time or, you know, if they're interested in getting the book, they can get it on Amazon, um, where yellow flowers bloom. And, you know, I've, I've gotten feedback from those who've read it, those who've gone through grief saying it helped get them access to their grief. So they found it beneficial that way. Other people, they've been reading it in like two days, three days, because it, it doesn't read like a memoir. It reads like, I think, more of an action, mm-hmm. suspense, fast-paced, uh, n- fictional narrative. It reads like a fictional narrative because it's unbelievable what happens. 
And, or if someone's just, you know, I had a girlfriend, she didn't have grief, but she just says, I look at life a little differently now. Mm -hmm. Having seen what can happen and what does happen. So I just, yeah, if, if it helps someone, if even it helps one person, I'm glad I did it. That's what it's for. It's for not, it's the only reason I did it. I just, you got to find meaning in what happened. And if it, this can help me do this and write this book that maybe can help one or two people, it puts purpose behind the unimaginable. Yeah. I, my main thing that I do to help people with grief, uh, there are two things. One is teach them different happiness practices and ways they can use that, but to spend a lot of time with writing to because you can write about lots of different kinds of things the group that that I have that meets on Sundays we we write on something that's supportive to them every week and it's different every week and they're always kind of surprised and they they like writing and then being able to talk about it right as soon as they mm-hmm. they write it mm-hmm. and it's been really positive to help them deal with their grief by writing about it and you had a really big situation and you wrote a really mm-hmm. big thing for it. And I, I think it's, mm-hmm. it, it really helps. Um, I'm, it does. Cause you know why? As I wrote it, I just wrote it at first thinking I got to get it down. So I don't forget it for my grandkids if I have them one day. But then as I went through it, it became reflective. I saw my initial stages of desperate grief. And then I saw it, change a little bit to more peaceful adaptation and integration. I wasn't, I was so desperate to find the remains of my son. So feverish to do that at the beginning, almost manic. Right. And then I got less attached. I wanted to find them to bury them. I did, but I got less attached to the outcome because with the intuitives, I realized Jack kept saying, it's just a shell. It's just a shell. I'm like, dude, I need your shell back. Right. This is my baby boy. But I got more comfortable in that. I got more comfortable in it because I'm like, yeah, their their spirits are in pure joy. I do I do want something to bury. I do, but um, I saw the reflective healing that I was kind of going through. I think. Yeah, I, I really writing is very therapeutic, and I'm mm-hmm. glad you were able to use it that way. That's really beautiful, and that it, it it is. I I couldn't put the book down. Once I started, I read a lot of books for my podcast. When I interview authors, I always like to read their book ahead of time. And with this one, I picked it up and I thought, I'm just not being able to do anything else here. And this just gets <laughs> done. People told me that. People told me like, they like, I started and then I went to bed at two in the morning once I finished it. Like they just <laughs> plow because it goes in, here's firsthand accounts of the mudslide, right? What's it like to live through it? Then Lauren's first account. And then this search for Jack and you're like all these things that happen. And then like, when are we going to get there? You know? So it's, it's uh, people have told me that they liked the pace of it. Yeah. It's really good. And you were able to, it seemed to me anyway, that you were able to get everything in there that you needed to get in there to, to mm, make it yeah. work for you to express what yeah. you were yeah, setting so. out to express. Yeah. I do think so. Just beautiful. Thank well, you. In the show notes, there will be uh, the information about Kim and where you can get the book and you can get a hold of that. And I, I highly recommend it. It's it's a very, very interesting book. Thank you so much. So, oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm sure that uh, people are going to get a lot out of this podcast and I appreciate you doing that. You're welcome. Take care now.
Okay. And we'll see you next week. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.